Tudor History and Travel Show is a podcast that brings Tudor history to life by exploring Tudor places and artefacts in the flesh. You will be travelling through time with Sarah Morris, the Tudor Travel Guide, uncovering the stories behind some of the most amazing Tudor locations and objects in the UK. Because when you visit a Tudor building, it is only time and not space which separates you from the past. And now over to your host, Sarah Morris. Hello, my friends. It's Sarah, the Tudor Travel Guide here, as ever, broadcasting to all four corners of planet Earth. So wherever you are in the world, you are most welcome to July's episode of the show. So I recently travelled to Norwich in Norfolk to meet with our guide and expert, Aidan Norrie, whose fascination is in the pageantry and iconography of Elizabeth I. And in fact, he and I took a stroll through Norwich, following in the footsteps of the progress of Elizabeth I when she came to Norwich in 1578. Not only will we be following in the footsteps of Elizabeth I, but we'll be going in search of the Berlin Chantry Chapel, and the final resting place of one of Elizabeth's direct forefathers, Anne, who, in fact, her great-great-grandmother. So you will not want to miss that. But first, my friends, I have a couple of bits of housekeeping to attend to. And the first of those is just to say a massive thank you to new patrons who have joined in sponsoring this, the Tudor History and Travel Show, over the last few weeks. It's been wonderful to have your support. Thank you so much. This means that the Tudor History and Travel Show is now over 50% of the way funded in its first phase. But what does that mean exactly? Well, when I put the patron programme together... I wanted to think about how the show could become self-supporting. And this first phase will allow me, when it's fully funded, to cover the costs of getting out and about on the road to record the podcasts. Beyond that, my next aim would be to be able to fund the production and the editing of the show, which normally takes me and my partner Chris about three to four hours per episode. And why is all this important? Well, some of you may have heard me talk about this before, but if you don't know, since I launched the Tudor Travel Guide and the podcast and my YouTube channels, I have been running the show alongside another full-time job, which has been wonderful to me over the years. But my real passion now lies in sharing Tudor history and the history of places and events and the people who live there with you guys. And I would love to be able to do that on a full-time basis. Because I'm juggling quite a few plates, time is at a premium. And unfortunately, I've not been able to make the number of patron-only episodes I would have liked as my way of thanking those who are supporting the show, some of whom have been doing so right from the very beginning. And I've been increasingly troubled by that and wondering for some time what changes I might make that would be fair and would also recognise the generosity and commitment of all of my patrons. 
Up until now, there's been free access for everyone to what amounts to around 100 episodes of the Tudor History and Travel Show. So the decision I've made is that all my new episodes will only be available in full to my patrons. If you are not a patron of the show, you will only be able to listen to the first part of each episode. Now, this will roughly equate to about half of the recording, although it will likely vary from one episode to the next, depending on the content and the length of the episode. But the good news is, my friends, that it costs very little to become a patron and you will be able to listen to full episodes of the show when you become a patron at the entry level of just $1 a month. So that's $12 for a full year of uninterrupted listening. We don't run ads on the show, so your support is what enables the Tudor History and Travel Show to keep going. So my friends, if you enjoy what we do here, then do consider becoming a patron. All you need to do is head on over to the homepage on Podbean, which is www.thetudortravelshow.podbean.com and look for the green button in the top right-hand corner, which says Become a Patron. And I'll put that link in the description associated with this podcast. Alongside the entry level at $1 a month, you will also find various levels of sponsorship that are available, each one with different perks and benefits. And I have those for those who wish to support my work to a greater degree. Of these, the most popular level is my $5 a month threshold, where patrons qualify for entry into the monthly gift giveaway. This often includes items sourced from the various venues I visit or speakers I meet throughout the year. So including things such as books or tickets or prints. And so with that, we are in fact ready to get on with this episode of the Tudor History and Travel Show. Well, very recently, I headed to Norfolk to the city of Norwich. Now, Back in the medieval and Tudor period, Norwich was an extremely important trading centre. And in fact, it was the second only city to London. Now, I had not been there before, so I was well looking forward to exploring its charms and seeing what history I could unearth. And it was even more exciting because I was to meet up with historian Aidan Norrie, who will introduce himself in a moment. But as I mentioned at the top of this podcast, Aidan has a particular interest in Elizabeth I and the pageantry and iconography that surrounds her. And so I thought no better person to help us unpack and learn about Elizabeth's historic 1578 progress to Norfolk. Now, in a moment, we'll go over and we'll meet Aidan outside the Church of St Stephen in Norwich city centre. Indeed, it was even within the city walls during the Tudor period, and we will pick up the story of the progress there. So let's not tarry any longer. It's time to go on progress. So hello dear listeners and for those of you who happen to be watching us on YouTube you will find a recording of this podcast on my YouTube channel Tudor Talk but um, I have come to Norfolk actually for this recording and I'm in the city of the fair city of Norwich a first 
for me, actually, I have to say. And of course, uh, back in Tudor times, Norfolk was part of East Anglia, and I am here to explore a very special event related to Norfolk, but I'm not on my own. I have a guest with me today, Aidan. Hello, Aidan Hello. Norrie. Hi, nice Hi. to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Aidan, you're from the University Campus North Lincolnshire. Yes. Okay, and I know we've been chatting, and um, the event that we're talking about today is particular interest it is. of yours. It is. So maybe you just want to introduce yourself and, and what we're here to talk about today. Yeah, uh, so I'm a historian primarily of Elizabeth I, so anything to do with her reign, um, I'm there. Uh, brace yourself, there is a good chance I will just refer to her as Bay in the podcast because I do that. Uh, it just slips out, it happens. Um, but I really get interested um, in anything to do with her uh, uh, public performances and that kind of thing. So civic pageantry is right up there when it comes to that kind of thing. Yeah, and this was a big progress, wasn't it? Tonight? It was. Um, it was one of the biggest of her reign, um, certainly both in terms of length and distance travelled. Um, it's not. Uh, it's the only time she went even anywhere close to this part of the country. Um, I need to. I've never been able to confirm it, but depending on the route that she took around, it might actually be the furthest north she went as well. Ah, okay. All right. Well, there's going to be lots to explore. And I will just say for folk who are tuning in and listening, we are filming in the middle of Norwich. It's a Saturday morning, Jubilee weekend, actually, when we happen to be recording this. So there's lots going on and you will hear sound, you will hear, sorry, dear listeners, you will hear sounds of life going on around us. Hopefully that won't detract from your enjoyment of this, though. Okay, so shall we just talk first a little bit about royal progresses, yeah. particularly Elizabeth's progresses? She was famous, wasn't she? She was. Can you talk about them in general? Why did they happen? Yeah, uh, so a big part of it was to get out of London during the summer, um, go on go on progress when someone else has to pay for your lodgings, um, your food, all of that. Uh, Elizabeth was famously tight with money. Um, whether that means she was good with money is another thing entirely, but it does mean while you're on progress, other people pay for your living expenses. Um, but Elizabeth, being a royal family of one, uh, was very big on showing herself. Um, uh, actually, much like the current queen, the whole the idea of I must be seen to be believed, that kind of thing was uh, a very Elizabeth I attitude. Mm. Um, and she travelled a lot, um, not as far as some of her predecessors, like never went to York like both her father and grandfather did, but in terms of uh, miles, co miles covered and uh, places visited, she's by far the most travelled of the Tudors. Mm. Uh, they're really good uh, for tying uh, royal authority to her, present, her presence, her person, um, particularly uh, if something slightly naughty has happened in a place um, and they need to be reminded of their place. Uh, nothing like having the Queen come through to remind them of, the, of their duty, really. Yes, and I guess that's something she did borrow from her father yes, and grandfather. very much so. Yeah, absolutely. So, how did you get into Elizabeth's progresses, and particularly this one, here to Norwich? Um, I did my MPhil um, on child actors in civic pageantry, um, and there are lots of child actors in the Norwich one. Uh, but more importantly, I was really interested in this one because it's the first of Elizabeth's progresses to have two separate published accounts. Um, the first is only in 1574 in Bristol, um, also by Thomas Churchyard, who wrote one of the ones for this. Uh, so it's a relatively new kind of phenomenon almost. Um, but the fact that there's two, and they clearly, um, 
didn't get along, shall we say. Um, the printed accounts contain various kind of snipes at each other. Um, when things go wrong for the other person, the other one gleefully records it. Um, but when you put them together, you get a really nice kind of almost day-by-day -day account of what goes on. And that's wonderful, isn't it? Because I love it, you know, having researched a couple of progresses before in my time, the detail, when you find some of the detail, it can yeah. be quite rare, but when yeah. you do, it's really illuminating. It lets your imagination just run wild. Yeah. So I don't think we've mentioned the year that no, Elizabeth came here. So maybe we should put that in context We should, first. yeah. So 1578 in summer, um, not that far. I mean, looking at the weather today, this is not that far from what she would have... Uh, experience. There's no, this progress was known for being rained out a lot. Ah. Um, lots and lots of rain. Um, but yeah, so 1578 during summer, uh, Elizabeth goes on progress through uh, East Anglia and sort of meanders her way slowly up to, up to eventually to Norwich, um, gets here um, on the 16th of August. Um, so proper English summer there. Proper English summer, and you're quite right, it's... <laughs> It's a very blustery grey day, isn't yes. it, here today? And I think rain is forecast tomorrow, which, uh, yeah, I can see. I was reading a little bit of the account, and I, I know one of the days at least was rained off. Yes. So uh, I think that's going to happen here for us tomorrow. Anyway, OK, good. So she arrives here, middle of August, mm -hmm. 1578. Is there any particular reason why she makes this progress? Yes. Uh, I mean, uh, Elizabeth never travels anywhere without a purpose, but Norwich in particular um, is a really weird mix um, lots and lots of Catholic recusants here. I mean, so the Duke of Norfolk has only been executed what, six years previous for his role in the Rodolphi plot and putting Mary Queen of Scots on the throne. Um, and having such a high-ranking Catholic magnate in the place um, had meant that lots of Catholics had been preferred. They were in lots of different positions of authority around the county. Um, so they were embedded, and then Norwich itself has been a hotbed of Puritan radicalism, really, um, since the Edwardian period, since the reign of Edward VI. Mm. Um, so you get this really weird mix of Catholics uh, versus more radical Protestants, um, which Elizabeth is happy with neither. Um, and we've had a new bishop in Norwich um, who is not very good at handling the two. Um, and that causes all sorts of problems. And essentially, before the progress, the Privy Council, obviously with Elizabeth's approval, rules that the bishop needs to uh, crack down on both Catholics and Puritans with equal severity. And the progress is essentially Elizabeth uh, literalizing the decision. I made this decision, you're going to follow it. Um, and we'll see that as part of uh, the pageant entertainments. You know, the city recognizes that they've gotten trouble for it and they do want to make up for it and make amends. And that's what we're going to do, aren't we? We're going to, we're here, we've arrived, and we'll talk about the um, church that we can see behind us for those people who are watching on YouTube uh, in a moment. But we're here really to follow in Elizabeth's footsteps as she arrives at the city of Norwich yeah. and makes her way towards where she was going to be staying during the, her time here. So maybe, um, could you tell us a little bit about Norwich, the city? You know, what did it look like at the time? What would Elizabeth have seen if she'd arrived here? It's almost incredible to think about, but in the, for much of the early modern period, Norwich was England's second city. It was the second largest. I mean, London has a population of about 200,000 and Norwich is about 16,000. Um, so nothing like what we're used to today, but in terms of size, it's the second largest. Um, it's a massive uh, exporting powerhouse in terms of uh, wool, silk, that kind of thing. Um, 
uh, the industry is, a set, is really bolstered by the arrival of Protestant refugees from the Low Countries fleeing um, the, the revolt in the Netherlands. Um, they bring their, their far superior skills um, and quickly outdo the English merchants. Ouch. Um, but in typical English fashion, they, they get on board with it and, yeah. and very quickly um, intermarry and... Assimilate kinda, the yep, whole culture. Yeah, want to get in on the action. Fantastic. Now, I did obviously my little bit of reading before meeting you today, and I understand Norwich was a, well, it's a bit of a tip in certain places. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> before she arrived. It's hilarious. So, uh, reading through um, all the, the city accounts of all the stuff that they had to very quickly clean up, and all the dung heaps that had to be taken away, um, all the rules that had to be applied about you need to stop um, emptying your lat latrines into the street, butchers need to be cleaner, you know, no yeah. animals just wandering around. Um, very, very panicked for that kind of six weeks before she arrives to just get everything done. Um, although not much changes, it's quite funny, the idea that the front of the houses need to be clean, but if the back of it's not, that, that's fine, because no one's going to see that. It's all for show, isn't yep. it? So they get about six, six, eight weeks or something to prepare yeah. for this. They pour money into it, don't so they, much in money. terms of all the decorating, as you say, the cleaning, the decorating. and Yeah, so the council decides to borrow somewhere between 400 and 500 pounds. Uh, we don't know if they actually do and what the amount is, but that's going to be equivalent to almost a million pounds wow. today. So they're borrowing a lot of money. For how many days did she say? A week. <laughs> wow, it's just incredible, isn't yeah. it? I bet they were in debt for a quite a long time yeah. after that. <laughs> well, that's the thing, it'd be interesting, we'll never know, but it would be interesting where they got the money from. Yeah. You know, if it was local people, local merchants who were able to fund it, or if they had to go further afield. Yeah, interesting. So she approaches the city from the south where she's been through Suffolk, she arrives in Norfolk. So where is she greeted? Um, so she arrives one o'clock in the afternoon, just outside St. Stephen's Gate, so just over there. Um, she's met by the Mayor of Norwich, um, or the Alderman, um, and uh, lots of, they're called bachelors, um, young sort of men of the city who are uh, worthy, shall we say. Uh -huh. um, she gets met by a lovely and lengthy uh, Latin narration, um, is given a gold cup, um, the garter is very uh, clear that it's worth about £100, so that's about £25,000 today. That's a nice little welcoming yeah. gift, isn't it? So for those people who are listening and maybe not so familiar with Norwich, um, St Stephen's Gate, in fact many of the walls and gates of Norwich have now long gone. I think there was a concerted effort I was reading to, to take them down in the sort of late 18th, early yes. 19th century. So we're really not left with any of the gates. And in fact, St Stephen's Gate would have stood where a large roundabout stands today. So Aidan and I figured, <laughs> dear listeners, that we weren't going to stand in the middle of a roundabout doing the first part of this uh, of this uh, uh, podcast here today. So, in fact, we've come slightly further into the city. So we're inside the city walls now, or what yeah. would have been the city walls. And we are standing, and for those of you who are watching on YouTube, you will be able to see that we're standing in front of a church, and this is St Stephen's Church. Now, why have we come here? So... Uh uh, she is welcomed outside of St. Stephen's Gate and it being England, um, it starts raining so she has to make haste and she shelters in the gate during the rain um, and while she's there she's entertained by the city waits by lovely music apparently. Oh, nice. So yeah, the city waits are essentially uh, an orchestra slash band who are on the city's payroll um, and just come out whenever the city needs to play relevant music. Um, but so once the rain has stopped, 
um, she comes down the street um, to the first pageant of her progress, which is staged outside the church here. Right outside. Now, today, it's a very busy street. It is. We've got the local buses are ploughing through, so we've taken refuge in the churchyard at the back of the church. Um, can you tell us about this particular pageant? And pageants were really big, weren't they, in they this were. particular progress? Yeah, so this is uh, the first pageant, so it would have served as a kind of a welcome officially from the city. Um, yeah, so we had the mayor's oration, you know, a, a lengthy Latin piece is not really the most welcoming of speeches. Um, it's actually quite interesting just on that. Um, uh, so one of the, the pageant writers, Bernagata, um, who's hired by the city, um, includes English translations, which is unusual. Um, and clearly he just knew that his readers would be, uh, just they would just switch off when they saw such a large amount of Latin. Yeah. Um, but very good translation. Just it's, it's not a hack translation, which I think is very interesting. Um, but yeah, so this would have been the kind of the city's welcome, and we really see here the benefits of the of the refugees from the Low Countries here. Um, so it's all about showing off uh, the. The, the wool and textile industry that, War that Norwich has now. Mm. Um, so big stage set up and on it uh, there are 17 children. Uh, what's particularly special about this is that 16 of them are girls, which is, I think it's unique. Um, it might not be because we don't have all the records, but mm. it's from, as far as I can tell, it's the only pageant during Elizabeth's reign that so prominently features girl actors. Um, and so they're on the stage, um, eight of them are knitting and eight of them are spinning, kind of showing off the textile industry. Um, and then there's a boy at the front who kind of pronounces the pageant's meaning for Elizabeth to make sure that it can't be missed. But as you can guess from having all the spinning and the knitting on, it's all about mm. the, the economic prosperity. Because um, at the end of the day, um, Elizabeth had to allow the refugees to settle there. Um, so there is a, a kind of, you know, thank you for letting this happen, um, but also uh, a, a gentle reminder that a, a lot of uh, the prosperity that Elizabeth has does come from the import taxes and duties that come from all this kind of stuff. I love these kind of subversive themes that seem to get snuck under the wire. Uh -huh. um, do we know how Elizabeth reacted to that particular pageant? Uh, Garter records uh, that at the end she said, this device is fine. <laughs> the royal seal of approval. Don't get too excited, Mom. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, that sounds great. So um, now, one of the things I just wanted to point out, um, in case we forget to talk about this, that there was a mile, wasn't there, between Elizabeth arriving at St. Stephen's Gate and getting to her final destination. Yeah. But it took an enormous amount of time. So when you said that these orations were long, they were long, yeah. weren't they? Well, the, so she arrives at her lodgings by evening. And if she's arriving at 1pm, that's at least, you know, if we're saying evening is even four o'clock, that's still four hours. To go like one mile. Yeah. I mean, you've got to admire her stamina, yes. haven't you, really? You, you can see why she started out the day only about five miles from here. You know, didn't want a lot. She knew it was going to be a, a hard slog. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, she was well used to this, yeah. so she knew what to expect and girded her loins appropriately. Well, it, what's really interesting, we don't know where, but she stopped somewhere during those five miles to get changed and get dressed and get ready. Wow. Um, so, yeah, she was clearly, clearly on it. Yeah, clearly on it. So where do we go from here? Where's the next stop? Uh, just outside the market. Okay. Oh, the marketplace. I'm looking forward to seeing the marketplace. Apparently, it's really lovely. So um, why don't we go? Yes. Okay, let's go.
been listening to the first part of this month's episode of the Tudor History and Travel Show. The remainder of this episode is available to patrons only. To become a patron of the show, head over to my Podbean homepage and you can find the Become a Patron button in the top right-hand corner. Alternatively, you can find a direct link to Become a Patron in the text associated with this podcast. Thanks for listening, my friends, and I'll see you in the Tudor Sphere again soon. Thank you for tuning in to this month's episode of the Tudor History and Travel Show. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe, like and rate this podcast so we can spread the Tudor love. Until next time, my friends, it's happy time travelling. <laughs>